Hey you, it's 2022 and you're still listening to Sloancast, your one-stop shop deep dive where we discuss anything and everything about the greatest band of all time, Chris Murphy, Patrick Pellant, Andrew Scott, and Jay Ferguson, collectively known as Sloan. We are your fellow superfan hosts. I'm Rob, this is Ken. Ken, what's going on, man? I'm still super excited to talk with you about the greatest band of all time. Let's go! We're a year older, and to quote Bjorn Olveus, Happy New Year. <laughs> awesome man well it's great here we are 2022 second year uh i guess well technically we've done a year of sloan cast and now we're kind of getting into uh uh officially a new year um mm. but uh, this is going to be part two to the previous episode obviously uh, where we started our sloan cast 30 list so uh, if you haven't heard that or the sort of story about i guess we could kind of review what the sort of narrative here is sure. um but if you have if you have yet to hear that go check out sloan 30 part one we're essentially kind of breaking down 30 important songs in the band's career from our perspective uh it, you know you might think of it in terms of you know songs that if you were to make a mix album to share with somebody who's either a, you know uh, an, a casual fan or not somebody who's super familiar with the band what kind of songs would you share with them and i think we're kind of shying away from the obvious singles and sort of obvious fan favorites and kind of coming up with a list that is a little more close to home a little more close to the heart um so these are our personal faves uh ken and i both made our own sloan cast 30 and then kind of cobbled the two together uh in like a lottery tumbler <laughs> and this is, the, right. this is the output um so yeah did i kind of hit all the points there man sure i think the i think the essential thought is uh is what you said in part one uh it's it's more classic queen than it is queen's greatest hits right uh there we it's, go uh you know it's the much more music of uh of stonecast lists but right. uh we like to think of it as well as sort of 30 tracks that embody what makes the band great uh if you're trying to convince somebody who doesn't know the band all that well to to believe as you do so let's call this the indoctrination 30 i guess and, uh, move, <laughs> move right along yeah this is more like more abba gold and uh, like right. i said we're kind of shying away from like hey you should really listen to coax me uh because i mean <laughs> obviously you should do that but uh we're getting a little more under the hood here as you as it were absolutely um we left off last time with an introspective piece from Never Hear the End of It. So for number 16 on the Sloancast 30, hmm. here's another banger from that same album. And um, fun fact, this is the first track on which Rob and I were unanimous about its inclusion in this list. Anyway, I mean, yeah, what can we say about, about this song that we haven't already said? But if you're a listener of the band, you know that Ken and I both met uh, at a Sloan show. I was doing merch. He came in. I saw his uh, bootleg Never Hear the End of It t-shirt, which you uh, claim is official. It was from, I think I got it from Kill the Eight, to be honest, like ah. 10 years ago or something. Really? Okay, well. <laughs> yeah arguable so anyway uh <laughs> but anyway we kind of hit it off and became buddies and the first thing you said to me is what's your favorite song uh i answered and we'll get to that song in just a sec but if you go earlier in the album it's hard if i had to say a favorite patrick song from that record for me it's this one uh mm. and this is just an endearing classic they still play it live to this day um 
Patrick in fine form here, taking a song that was conceived in the early nineties that we've you know talked about previously and, you know, heard early iterations of and so on totally fleshed out here. It was the theme song to the never see the end of its video series on YouTube mm. when never hear the end of it was being prepped and about to come out. Um, what do you have to say about this one, man? It's, we think about the reasons for including songs in this list and they have to mean something in terms of what the band represents. And for me, like, Within the array of Patrick contributions over the years, you have a number of riff rockers to choose from. But this was this was our selection, I think, for for a couple of reasons. It's not only a great example of how Patrick can churn out sort of a classic level riff based track, um, but also an example of of one of the things that he's known been known to do best and that's take a years old song reheat it and polish it off for a new album right so he did this most recently for 12 with the day will be mine but for me this is the trademark example of that as ill place trust as we talked about for the smear 2 episode was a song that they'd gone as far as to perform live on several occasions so it was it was already floating around there in the early 90s um and when you listen to it, it doesn't necessarily sound like, well, it could be. I mean, structurally, it's sort of, uh, it sounds a little bit naiver than some of his later compositions, but it's just, it's such a fuel-injected track, um, and it's so high energy without being like, without being in-your-face hardcore dubstep or something. Like, as in, they don't resort to super high tempo uh, or like over punchy production to make it pop, it just pops on its own, uh, and it's it's such a banger. It kicks in with those drums, uh, you know. Then you get the riff. It's just classic Patrick. He's singing kind of in his upper register the whole time, mm-hmm. so it's sort of like you were saying with that power. Like uh, this is not sort of like getting closer to baritone Patrick on Twice Removed with I Can Feel That kind of thing. This is the complete polar opposite of that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I picture him playing it with the Never Hear the End of It hair. You know, like he's got that big, <laughs> you know, swath of awesome gray hair, sure. just sticking straight up and just looking amazing and. And uh, yeah, just such an awesome track to see live. If you haven't seen it, or if you haven't seen it in a while, there's an excellent uh, clip on YouTube. It's sort of a truncated show uh, when the guys played Massey Hall in more recent years in Toronto here. Um, Mm. I want to say 2015, 2016. It's on YouTube if you search for it, Sloan, Massey Hall. And within that set list uh, that's, that's featured is this song. It's one of the songs that they feature from Patrick. And, you know, you take one look at that. I mean, just in the offshoot that you haven't seen this song live, just look at the energy in the room when these guys kick into it and throughout the entirety of the song. Um, You know, we can talk about, you know, the various elements of the track that make it great. Um, I love just the overall production, obviously, from the original record, but by the time we get to the uh, outro, uh, you know, it's it's obviously, I, I think, just a lyrical coincidence that he's saying, you know, uh, can you feel it? I can feel it. <laughs> you know, kind of a callback to 94. I think not. But, um, you know, that's, that's once once we get to that point in the song and, you know, can you feel it? And then it kind of kicks back in again, the call and response between Patrick and Chris. 
And uh, and then as they proceed towards the end of the song, it sounds like everybody else in the band is within that mix. I mean, I certainly recall seeing it live where everybody's kind of singing apart and yeah. Chris and Patrick are going back and forth with the leads. It's just a magical moment. And we've talked about this on the show a ton where Sloan are a great band with a great examples of where they come up with these moments you know, alive, yeah. that not just a That's song right. that you like, you know, obviously everybody recommend, you know, recognizes the singles and the songs that are, you know, on TV and on the radio. But even though this song, you know, wasn't a single and it certainly could have been slash should have been, I'm surprised it wasn't. Uh, it's so radio ready. Um, but, but uh, despite that fact, it's, it's a favorite. And I think anybody who has the you know, is just seen the band for the first time or haven't seen them in a while, aren't, aren't familiar with the 2006 uh, beat and on output, you know, you can't see this song and not, you know, leap to your feet and fucking put your hands mm. in the air and go for it. Cause uh, like I said, it's a great moment seeing Patrick and Chris go back and forth on the vocals and both of them are just like singing their nuts off. Um, mm. So it's just a powerful song. And yeah. uh, it, it, like you just said, it kind of takes a place for me on this list of maybe some more obvious tracks, like good and everyone, that kind of thing. Um, you know, power pop from Patrick. Um, I, I could listen to this song all day. It's just, I, you know, I get up and I tip a car over every time I hear it. Sure. I mean, we, you know, there much has been said about Money City Maniacs, much has been said about If It Feels Could Do It and Losing California. And, right. you know, uh, I still think that this is a riff that clings to me a lot stronger than than those tracks do, you know, and I think that has a lot to do with how the song is built and how it's uh, how it's produced on the album. And I think that, you know, you touched well upon uh, the live qualities of the song and there's sort of a live a live quality to how the song was composed and recorded for the album too mm. uh, it sounds you know it doesn't it sounds scrappy uh, and punchy and that's uh, that's I think one of the one of the things that um, this band can pull off with without making it sound you know low quality without making it sound as though they recorded it in you know, a hall or something. It, it, it sounds, uh, it sounds fantastic. So it this does. is a great, you know, this is for me, this is for me a great example of all of those qualities. Totally, man. And lyrically, Patrick is sort of in his zone, you know, that we've spoken about, about previously where the song is very relatable. It's you and me, yeah. you know, uh, the person that he's singing to, it's very, it's relatable. It's very personable. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's simple. It's, it's simplistic. It's kind of keeping it simple, stupid, but, um, it's got that relatable language in there and, uh, it's right. fantastic. And then you mentioned the production, uh, you know, we know that some of the tracks on never the end of it, I mean, it, it being a 30 song album, um, were kind of done in a bit of a burst, you know, like, mm. uh, you know, one night or two nights, you know, trying to just get as many ideas down. I think a lot of the shorter songs came, came out of that. Um, but I think the Patrick songs, if I'm not mistaken, perhaps save for the B part in, I understand were all done at, you know, a professional quote unquote studio outside of their regular jam space. You'll notice on the record, at least for me anyway, his songs, you know, I understand, listen to the radio, ill place trust and so on kind of have a quality to them, which is not to say that it's better than the other songs or whatever. They're all wonderfully equal, but um, there is a quality there. I think that's a little, a little different, a little set apart from the, from the other songs. Just, I don't know, a production thing. Um, hard to put your finger on, but I think most noticeable in a song, like I understand when you get into that B part after it does the little drum solo, you hear sort of like, a uh, an audible difference. And I think right. that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We'll get to that a little bit more in two songs. Uh, 
we do have one uh, track that we do need to talk about before that. And that rounds off our picks from the official album itself. Never mm. hear the end of it. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome to what might be considered Rob Butcher's favorite Sloan song. <laughs> so hard man it's so hard man to say that i have a favorite song you know what i mean i've said it on the show but uh if i had if you know gun to my head if i had to pick one this would be my desert island sloan track you know for life um for many reasons and i've I've, and if you want to go back and listen to our million part episode on never heard the end of it we kind of explain it there but um yeah such a special song uh this is the song that i when we first met i was like that's my tune you know what i mean and i think Mm. we kind of both connected in that regard um but yeah this is a special one for me it's a chris track i'm a chris guy you know it's this song and and i'm a big fan of when and i mean it's hard to say that these guys ever finish out an album on a down note i can't really think of an example of that but um you know in this regard an album kind of having the last song sort of take off in this way i guess delivering maybes does that a little uh having like just sort of like a raucous upbeat jam as the last track but um this song in a way kind of doesn't really sound like the rest of the album and i get the impression that it was a song written much earlier um like mm. we were just speaking about with the last track ill place trust my intuition is that this is a song is a song that was you know written in that same period like the 92 93 94 area uh and kind of revived for 2006 it kind of gives me that vibe you know that it's mm. something from another time that's been kind of cut and paste into this time right um do you have any intel on that? Especially the stuff that wasn't recorded live off the floor, because, you know, Golden Eyes, you know what it's about, those mm. tracks, you know that they were written pretty much spontaneously for the album yeah. and devised on the spot. Yeah. Uh, the other cuts, and we've heard I've Enabled Myself, and we've heard the predecessors for some of the other tracks uh, on on the album within some of the box sets that have been released over the course of the years for earlier albums. So we know that some of the other tracks are coming from earlier material, which makes sense. And, you know, Chris and Jay have the riff farm, um, and it's easy for them to reheat stuff that was in a figment of their creativity in 98 or whatever uh, for, a, for a newer release. So they straddled the boundary between songs that were really shovel ready in the nineties and are just reheated for, for a new album, see ill place trust and ideas that were floating around for years and were finished for a new album. See, for example, your daddy will do, uh, for, for the double cross. That was, a, a an idea for, for Navy blues. Um, and it wasn't much more than an idea. So, you know, that's, that's a good question. It's definitely plausible, and I think it's one of the things that really speaks to the band's longevity and its creativity and its breadth of of musical knowledge. It's just being able to take stuff that you'd worked on 30 years ago and make it sound relevant for a new album. 
And I think I, I totally agree. And I think something that resonates with me is this song, like we just talked about with the last track, having the sort of ingredients and in the guts of, you know, classic hits like Good and Everyone. This one's got the elements of, you know, Underwhelm, for example. When mm. I hear the song, like I'm hearing Chris and Patrick singing. I don't know it's how much of that. Voice, yeah. It's got that. I don't know how much of the backing vocal is, is also Chris. Um, but, you know, in my in mind's eye, I'm hearing Chris and Patrick together. Perhaps I'm just used to hearing them sing it live. Um, mm. But it has that quality to it. Um, and they're pretty much harmonizing the whole track. It's just double singing the whole way through. Yeah. Uh, and reminiscent, obviously, of a song like Underwhelmed. And if I had to kind of pit the two together, like I would take this track over Underwhelmed in a heartbeat, which I, is a right. song I love totally. Um, but this has got like a sort of quality and, and an excitement to it. Whereas with Underwhelmed and some of the classic songs at the time where it would be like, you know, big intro, down for the verse, up for the chorus and down for the verse and so on. That sort of dynamic. With this song, it's just sort of like, a match is lit, you know, it strikes the wick and then the dynamite is about to explode. And the song just kind of takes off from there. Right. It just keeps going up and up and up and up and up. Right. And, uh, you know, by the time you get to that last verse, uh, you know, is there, is there another, if there's another way I could do it? And he says, you know, another way to blow, blow it up. Like, it's just, Oh my God. I've definitely talked about this on the show previously, but the Chris vocal here at the end, he's just mm. singing his heart out it's so hardcore and he's just like, there's just so much emotion there. And I mean, I kind of obviously, as we all do, you know, apply my own thoughts about what exactly the song is about. I mean, when, when he's talking about not knowing his way through the city, I assume this is him thinking about Toronto, you know, that kind of goes against the narrative of it being written earlier. Mm. Um, perhaps that lyric was written later, but um, mm. you know, and the idea of him having to change, you know, the numbers in his, uh, in his little black book to include an area code, if he's going to call home <laughs> and that kind of thing. Wait, um, there's a 905 too. <laughs> but uh but yeah i mean so you know for me at the time when i heard it i had just moved to toronto as well mm. you know and and it felt very much like this song feels and i go right back to that place every time i hear it and and even if you're not thinking about the specific the specificity of this is that a word the specific nature of the lyrics <laughs> making up specificity uh, thank you uh it's late and early for you hey uh i'm shot out of a gun today holy shit anyway but uh, the uh what I was, what was I trying to say? Other than the, you know, relying or looking too closely at the specific nature of the lyrics, it's just a, such an enjoyable song, such an enjoyable lyric, so mm. fun to sing, and uh, I love that this is the last track on this record because, like I said, obviously it sounds like the rest of the record. It's got that production style and stuff, but it's so unique. It's so hard to imagine it in any other place to have it to imagine it being kind of like mid-album or something like that. Uh, I, I really appreciate that it was chosen to be the final song. Uh, and it has that great little outro that to me sounds right. like, you know, something that was perhaps added later or, you know, an idea right. at the time that they were recording where they kind of just have like a little hand clap, hey, na na part at the end. Yeah, we talked about how that sandwiches the album too, how the album from front to back has this, right. you're in the recording space with the band quality. And yes. it's very opposite to Action Pact, which was this, you know, slick Rick uh this is what power pop on the radio should sound like quality and you can't hear any of the production you know of 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 the actual songs uh or any, any of the recording elements of the songs in the production so that's uh you know i think that's a great uh it's a great way to bookend an album and i think you you spoke to sequencing and how sloan is able to sequence their albums masterfully this mm. couldn't belong anywhere yeah but at the last spot on the track list 
to 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 use your reference there with Slick Rick, if if Action Packed has an eye patch, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> never hear the end of it. Tears that eye patch off, and uh, it can see again with a full full twenty twenty. And uh, yeah, so I, again, I can't speak highly enough of this track. Um, if you haven't heard this track in a while, if you haven't made it to the end of near the near, never hear the end of it in a while, go directly there. Obviously, listen to the whole thing. That'd be my first recommendation. Do not pass go. Do not do not collect five hundred. Yeah, do not. <laughs> but uh, if uh, if there was another way you could do it, uh, you have multiple ways. But anyway, yeah, hit hit the re- end of this album and just listen to this one song. If you have just a few minutes right now, pause this episode. I'm not afraid. I don't think you're not going to come back to it. Just go listen to it on a streaming service or go to Bandcamp or pull out your copy and check it out. Because this one is just a fucking a monster. I love it. I could listen to it every day. I usually do. <laughs> All right. So let's keep in the vein of Never Hear the End of It for one more track. Uh, although it's not an official track, it could possibly be the best representation of Patrick alone in his headspace. I don't What makes a solo Patrick production great? Uh, I think even though shows off a lot of the answer to that question. So you have, on the one hand, absolutely on point vocals and vocal harmonies. Hmm. Um, You have this introspective, as you mentioned, Rob, universally relatable lyrical content. Uh, And you have a really tasteful use of effects. Uh, So electronic effects, pedals. I think the next time that we hear this to this extent is maybe on what's inside from from commonwealth or on yeah. um maybe on it is never from hit and run but i would go as far as to say that even though is a much better rounded track uh than those two and certainly offers up a lot more lyrically than those two tracks so you know you you've already touched upon this rob but it's astonishing that this was an afterthought to never hear the end of it um because the band needed supplemental tracks for the itunes release of the album uh and basically patrick pieced this thing together in a stitch uh it has all the merits of a radio single uh and that just speaks tons to the band's ability uh you know it just speaks tons to their professionalism and i think that that's a quality that we need to embrace on this lone cast 30 is how can you make a last minute b-side essentially or or extra track for uh for an itunes release it as good or better than a lot of the tracks on the on the studio album it kind of goes back to the joke about and i think it's in the never see the end of it videos where patrick kind of comes clean and says uh you know i didn't know this was going to be a 30 song album until recently like i don't think he set out (laughs) knowing that it was going to be this long sprawling record he showed Uh, up with five songs for for a 30 track album he, yeah, he showed up with his tracks, which would have conceivably been, you know, three of those, perhaps uh, three or four going on a traditional 12 or 13 song record. Um, 
and he would have had his like B sides, you know, intact, ready to go. Um, so when when the decision is made at some point to make it a thirty track, you know, album, um, I assume that was just during the recording process, you know, like on one of these nights where they're just doing, banging out a whole bunch of thirty second songs. What are we going to do with all these pieces? I know, you know, <laughs> let's just put mm-hmm. it all out there. Um, what do we have? What can we add? And it's so funny too because the record is because we're talking about it again, but nothing on this record on never hear the end of it specifically feels like, Oh, we're at 29. What can we just do one more? What can we, what else can we do? You know, we got to have a nice round number like 30. Um, I, I would assume that there are tracks and ideas and things that were recorded. You know, this might even be an example of one. Well, I guess it wouldn't be because Patrick wasn't aware they were doing the long album, but, um, you know, but, but in terms of other tracks from the other guys, there are probably little pieces that kind of didn't yeah. make the cut, which is outstanding to me, you know, on a 30 well, they album. Went in with, they went in with 55 or something like that. Okay. Ridiculous. There you go. There you go. That you is know. ridiculous. Jesus. So we'll wait for the ultra super mega box set, whatever <laughs> year that's coming. God, man, I, I can't wait. I know it's going to be a decade away, but you know, like for, for, again, for me, never hear the end of it. It, it p- passes in and out of being my favorite song album. Um, but, uh, it, if there are songs missing from this collection that haven't been sort of repurposed and repackaged and come out since mm-hmm. in the ensuing 15 years, um, I would love to hear what the leftovers were, man. Cause this is just like, it's delicious you know if there were yeah. other slices to this pizza that were uncons- non-consumed you know i am yeah. anxious to hear them yeah and as you touched upon before uh and this is something that's sort of side a side note to the playlist itself but um even though it has that sony bmg recording sound mm-hmm. it sounds like the a-sides win tracks uh it sounds a little bit more like maybe some of the patrick tracks on never hear the end of it uh, although that's mastered, I think never hear the end of it is mastered to sound like one album, which is which makes sense. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> because yeah. Because that's what the job of mastering is. Right. But um, even though is a standalone that wouldn't fit into the mosaic of of the sequencing the album per se, uh, and it uh, you know in in places it sounds a lot more crisp. I think than than never hear the end of it does as as a whole album. I think it's fair to say that even though Patrick isn't the painter in the group, uh, you know, his palette of colors is perhaps the most diverse. You know what I mean? We've mm-hmm. joked on the show about, you know, there's a new Sloan album coming out. What's Patrick going to even look like? You know, like he mm-hmm. was the guy who had his hair style would change per album. And then, you know, right. me and all the other fanboys would go out and get our hair cut, you know, in, <laughs> to, to align with that. Um, but um this is a good example, like you were just saying earlier, about how his palette kind of swings back and forth and kind of um, can kind, he kind of has carte blanche to go in whatever direction he wants in a way. You know, mm-hmm. he sort of like set the table and had so much diversity um, that nothing would surprise me at this point, you know? Yeah. And that's and a really exciting really, place to be. Yeah. And, and you know, we've much quoted this, uh, this idea that Chris really likes it when Patrick dials it down a notch. And this is a real, just like an earnest, emotional expression i think as well you know even though about you know being in a relationship with deceit and lies which is also kind of ill-placed trust and a bunch of other patrick tracks but this one does it really well musically too so uh, for me an essential inclusion on this on this particular track list 
<clears throat> Absolutely. And it's nice to keep kind of adding B-sides to the list as well. That's right. So speaking of B songs, here's a song. Here's a song that has really grown on me over the last 13 odd years. I've got a way to think everyone around me is crazy. I've got a way to think everything that's bad gets worse. All right, here we are. We are. We have arrived. 2008 parallel play. Uh, we were just talking about Patrick. We're here talking about Patrick again. Um, for me, in the latter half of the 30 years, this is for me like a top Patrick song. Uh, and I recall. I don't know if I'd heard the record first or if I bought the record on the way to the show. Uh, but at the time, the guys did a show at the Orange Lounge here in Toronto. I believe it was on Queen Street. And they'd actually, I guess, according to Gregory in his episode, had been mixing and recording you know, elements of the album upstairs at a studio mm. there um, in tandem with this show being organized. Um, but obviously, that the recording had been completed and the album was out uh, in time for this show. And I, I recall that the show was streamed online. I remember finding it years ago, or at the time at least. Um, so I'd be curious if anybody has that archived somewhere yeah, uh, sure. that, that we could see it again. Uh, but I remember the show opened with Believe in Me. And then the other highlight of the show for me was Burn For It. So mm. awesome. I mean, obviously it sounded like it does on the, on the record, but... Um, you know, Patrick singing with himself with the octave vocal, um, you know, he's kind of, as he would say, you know, getting his sort of like, uh, he's talking in the song about the loud, proud volume freaks. Um, mm. You know, he, he's kind of going into his headspace where he has that guitar tone. You know, I think I asked on the sh- interview with him whether he was, whether this would kind of fit in with those other songs that were sort of like in drop, like what would be the uh, correct phrasing. Um, not detuned, but uh, dr- like more droney sounding, open, I guess. Open, open A or open G. Yeah. Sure, open tuning. I, so I don't know that he really confirmed that it's within that family. Mm. Um, but for me, it kind of has that Mary Chain kind of vibe to it. Sure. You know, like the guitars at times just sort of sound like a machine or something, like a drill. Uh, mm. Really cool. And again, this one, like another way I could do it, kind of starts in one place and just fucking takes off and kind of has like the, the B part of the song. It's almost like a different song. Uh, yeah. You know, by the time they get to, I want to walk through the fire and Chris and Patrick are, I mean, I don't know. I think it might be Patrick doing all the vocals on the record, but Patrick and Chris live kind of sharing back, you know, and burn for it. Like great, great, awesome moment live. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this has been a fave of mine on this record since then and uh yeah so what what turned you around on this one it's i think i and i mentioned this in other episodes too it took me a while to understand musical cliches and how the band references other music purposefully and 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 wants to work in that stylistic direction on purpose without doing it over the top so you know Mm -hmm. we've touched upon that in other episodes and I feel like this is another good example of that. So I do feel like Patrick's ostensibly kind of like cheesy repetition of uh, you can't handle it multiple times. Like that's <laughs> trying that that's trying to evoke sort of that late eighties, early nineties hardcore uh, hard rock cliche. Right. So it's the opening you know, I, of the Michael Jackson black or white slash twisted sister video. I was, yeah, I was, there's that. <laughs> and I, I was going to say, it's also sort of, 
it's like Queens headlong meets the Eagles get over it sort of. It's okay. That, okay. <laughs> it's cool. In that, it's in that vein. Um, yep. It's just the intonation is the, is how he intones it. And, um, but if you listen to the way the song is built, it's evoking that style on purpose, but it's not trying to be, you know, it, he's not trying to rewrite the, that, that particular like commercial hard rock uh, subgenre from, you know, it's not, he's not trying to rewrite, get a grip or something. Right. Um, so there, I think I, I learned that over the years. And also I like some of the production elements happening here. I think I listened to the production, I listened to the song in preparation for, for this, obviously. And I just noticed again how well mixed it is. Um, there's all kinds of distortion and effects happening in the song, but there's plenty of clarity and space in between instruments. The subtle use of that octave uh, lead vocal that you talked about is something that we don't really hear throughout the album. And that also gives it kind of this I can't describe it. It's sort of a poppy, a pop rock '80s vibe too. I'm not sure other if there are other bands out there that do that, and if if there are, then they're escaping my uh, my thoughts right now. Um, but I, I learned to appreciate that over the years. I think the album on the whole, and we've talked about this in the Never Hear the End of It episode, is an album that um, was doomed in my esteem for disappointment because Never Hear the End of It is this giant. Uh, statement that turned out to be my favorite album mm. and they followed it up with uh one of their shortest albums you know after so i i was immediately you know thinking you know this is this is i want more um and so that's uh that that kind of i think hewed my perception of a lot of the tracks on the album uh until this very day but we'll get to that in more detail when we do cover parallel play at a date in the near future yeah i can't wait to do that and, and honestly for me i think when i think about all the albums in, in the context of the full discography i for sure admit that parallel play does feel like a little brother or a bit of an afterthought compared to never hear the end of it because never hear the end sure. of it is so just wild and huge and um but when i go and look at parallel play and think to myself like well what what about this album makes it so it's certainly not the song quality um because yeah. you've got and I mean, I, we're going to talk about a couple of the songs in just a second, but I mean, like if you go from the top to the bottom, like all I am is all your nod and, you know, fucking witch's wand and just tracks like this burn for it, you know, like, uh, you know, a sort of mid album rocker that kind of yeah. just blows you out of the water. Um, it's yeah. got so much power and so much quality on there. I mean, like any of these songs could have fit on never hear the end of it quite handily. Um, yeah. Although they do interestingly kind of feel correct together in the context That's of right. par parallel play uh, in the yeah. context of, you know, a, an evenly split record between the guys. That's um, right. But uh, yeah, this song is interesting. I mean, it, it <clears throat> Patrick is obviously very aware of what band he's in. Uh, and even if you note the songs that he's put out as his fuzzed out alter ego, even in that instance where he's a little harder edge, he it still kind of filters through his brain. And he's got that beautiful vocal, you know, that I think mm. always sustains and remains. And despite the kind of song, the exact sort of genre that he's sort of you know, influenced by it, it has a poppiness to it and a catchiness. Uh, and burn for it is a great example of that for me, like just like the, the melodies are just in incredible. And like I said, you know, it's sort of just this drony kind of song that kind of just keeps picking up pace. And by the time they get to that intro, it just completely goes out into the atmosphere. Yeah. yeah and, yeah. uh, and, and it's, it's just, I, I love Patrick for that, that 
he that this is one of the many colors in his palette, like I was saying earlier. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that despite whatever genre he's sort of performing in, that vocal is always there, you know, and you just yeah, you, sure. can, you can always rely on Patrick for an amazing lead vocal. Yeah. In, in that spirit, let's just continue on with Parallel Play's track list for the next selection. Which is <laughs> um, oh man i love this jack man obviously if any for those who tuned into jay's solo show uh earlier in the year which was like a pre-recorded show really cool idea uh chris later did a pre-recorded show as well in uh in high park here in toronto but jay's was sort of like in and around his house backyard that kind of thing and i believe he did which is one out in the snow i think that was one of the songs as i recall yeah. was yeah. leather jacket jay with the scarf in the backyard right. uh and I, was he wearing? Yeah. <laughs> one of the classic jay hats but and i think yeah. he even joked at the time in the comments uh because the show was obviously pre-recorded that he should have done snowsuit sound outside but right. which is one is appropriately uh, performed outside because the video for which is one obviously takes place mm. outside in the snow um and i remember commenting I, I was just all up in the comments fuck the whole show and i'm and i'm like directing people i'm like okay let's everybody freeze at home when when Jay says, like a cop just told me to freeze. I love the lyrics in this song. It's so great. That's my favorite part of the song, by the way. But uh, yeah, talk to me about which is one, man. Sure. This is for me one that uh, wasn't on my draft list for these episodes. Uh, but when I looked at your list, I was like, oh, damn it. I forgot one. I should have included that one. Because yeah. it's for me a prime example of how the band and Jay in particular is able to compose really high quality like bubblegum esque power pop and i really don't like that term power pop and you know that but you know here we are um which in the same vein vein of how they can evoke sort of 60s influences and not sound like a baroque revival or whatever it doesn't sound vaudeville like this right. the, the style of power pop that they're trying to evoke here doesn't sound over the top it doesn't sound overtly commercial it doesn't sound overtly teeny. Uh, it doesn't sound overtly top 40-ish. It's insanely catchy. Mm. Uh, it's excellently produced. It has this great, easy-to-learn lyric sheet. Um, and it has a fascinating story to tell, too, somehow. So if that's what people understand as the term power pop, uh, then this is one for your power pop fan friends, I guess. Um, you know, also just, we haven't been talking about, we haven't talked about the album yet, uh, as a whole on this podcast, but let's hear it for how the, the major chorus switches into the fading out minor outro. I love that. Uh, oh, that's awesome. high art right there. Yeah, man. Yeah. Th this is such a great one. Like, uh, <clears throat> from the lyrics as you said i love the dead drums at the beginning the intro the you know like mm. it's just so awesome i don't know exactly what jay's being influenced by here you know sometimes it's obvious sometimes it's not we can always you know make our best guess but uh mm. this is 
but again, we've talked about how that the influence of these guys kind of ends up just being, it just kind of ends up being them. And um, by 2008, Jay is full on in his sort of modern era J zone, yeah. if you will, yeah. JZ, the JZ <laughs> zone, <laughs> uh, where he has kind of really refined. And I think we talked about it kind of happening somewhere between hard to say, like pretty together, never hear the end of it, you know, action packed somewhere in there. Like, where would you say that the modern day Jay was really solidified? It's for like for me the leap from smeared to pretty together is the biggest leap, but I feel as though he really hit his stride in and around parallel play or even hit and run. That's fair to say, uh, because again, you look at the songs uh, even on Action Pack, but never hear the end of it as well. Like there's not a dog J song on the record no. and he's got no. a real, again, a consistency there. If you yeah. isolate all the J songs on never the end of it, I mean like, you know, before the end of the race and like, just it's fucking fantastic. Who taught you to live yeah. like that is on there, you know? Mm. Um, but he's sort of progressing and, and, and continuing uh, here on, on parallel play with a, just a J classic, an absolute mm. classic. And another one that these guys still play live, you know, we'll still hear once in a while, which is one. Mm. Um, so yeah, fantastic and a fun video <laughs> filmed uh, out in the, in the middle of nowhere uh, for this right. one as well. I think a- Andrew is like the shaman at the end or whatever. Sure. <laughs> the location gives me serious Ottawa Valley vibes. Okay. Um, so maybe I'm just traumatized. I'm not sure. <laughs> it definitely feels like a cold Canadian winter. Uh, and true. and here in Toronto uh, at the beginning of January 2022, we are certainly in the midst of that. Um, but, uh, yeah, this makes me want to go back and just rewatch that solo J show and, uh, enjoy that performance in his backyard. Um, but yeah, yeah I, sure. again, this is another one, a little off the beaten path. It wasn't a, a single, it could have been certainly, for sure. uh, and in keeping with some of the other tracks, I mean, it's just a classic song and, uh, you know, for everybody who loves lines, you men and take care of the poor boy and so on. Uh, this mm. one is right up there with, and in some cases I would say, you know, uh, <laughs> removing or dethroning some of those tra- classic songs, you know, by the time we for get sure. to 2008. For sure. All right. So. Why don't we just make it three in a row from Parallel Play? Thinking that I'm gonna make it now I said I'd give it a try The same old habits trickled down Okay, that wasn't intentional. Uh, (laughs) When piecing together the final final track list for Sloancast 30, I was surprised that we agreed on three tracks from Parallel Play. You know, having having mentioned again that this was maybe not one of our top albums uh, for for both of us. But for me, if you look at a track like The Dogs, um, this could very well be the best expression of... We've talked about Patrick alone in his basement. Um, Mm. This could for me, be the best expression of Andrew alone in his headspace, you know, lyricizing on top of what is essentially an instrumental loop. Yeah. Um, so it's got none of the craziness and complexity of sinking ships or something like that. But, you know, it's still got everything that makes this guy brilliant. So alongside maybe something like I Know You, which is a, at least has a a more upbeat bridge it's probably the most downbeat andrew song um but it never sounds lugubrious right it doesn't depending on 
I think that that's a thing, maybe depending on the composition style, it's always a risk with someone like Andrew because he has that vocal timbre and he does tend to layer instruments all on top of each other and they're all doing something different. So it can sound like you can risk sounding like, you know, blah. Yeah. but it's still, this still sounds super crisp. I don't know. Like imagine something like Helen and take it down 20 beats and that <laughs> wouldn't sound great. Right. So what makes this so characteristic of Andrew's being alone in his headspace is you have the simple guitar lick moving up and down the neck with with different chord vo- voicings and sort of ringing open strings, um, which we've heard on People of the Sky, which we've heard, you know, you name the track, Andrew, that's his style. Um, you have an awesome bass line. Uh, and guys, I've emphasized this on multiple occasions in this podcast, but seriously, if you haven't given the, the time to listen to Andrew's writing for the bass guitar, it's incredible. so melodic and so out there it's not like any baseline that i would ever write for for a song um and the like the lyrical content that you have here is it's at once enigmatic and it's still inviting like you want to know what that means it tells a story but means nothing at all at the same time um and this is for me a great example of how you can as a listener just read so much into andrew's songwriting um, because he leaves so much open to the listener's imagination, right? He's like he's the beat poet. He's the Gregory Corso of Sloan. He's mm. giving you an image to work with, and you can make up the rest for yourself. Uh, in keeping with what you just said, you know, Andrew is the one who sounds like he's kind of just making it up, but there feels like there's meaning there. And he kind of confirmed to us in his interview, even when we talked about a song like I Know You, that he was just adamant that, oh, it does, none of it means anything, you know? Um, but it's hard to imagine that that's really the case because obviously it's coming from his head. So, you know, with a song like this, it's very visual, you know? And uh, so, you know, and, and from the photos that we see that Andrew's posted of himself at home or working in his studio and so on, uh, you know, we can hear, you know, we, 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 you know, on previous tracks, you know, we've heard like the dogs in the background, we hear the barking, you know, mm. um, but uh, on a song like 48 portraits in this case, he's referencing them. This is the name of the song specifically. Mm. Um, but he's also talking about the fire burning hot. You know, I picture like his fireplace or something. He's kind of sitting there and just sort of looking around and kind of whatever is around is what ends up in the song. Like we sort of opined about with, uh, you know, WWLRD, what would Lou Reed do? Uh, you know, he, you know, Lou Reed had just passed away. Maybe he's looking at a copy of one of his records in his collection at the time. Uh, and I just actually watched this week that Velvet Underground documentary, the Todd Haynes oh, cool. uh, documentary that came out last year. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why I never put these two things together, knowing what a huge Lou Reed, uh, uh, what a yeah. fan of Lou Reed that Andrew is. Um, and I'm sure there are other influences in his, you know, back pocket that are true in this way. But, you know, they talk about in that movie about how Lou would just kind of was great at just sort of making stuff up, you know, mm. like he'd pick up the guitar and whatever, and they would just jam. And, you know, and I'm sure there are plenty of Andrew songs, if not all of them, that are constructed that way, right. uh, specifically more so perhaps in the latter half of the, of the career. 
Right. Uh, perhaps this is an example because, like you said, it's sort of a drone. It's like a vibe. This song yeah. for sure, you know. And it's I kind of put it up there with like a four hundred four hundred meters vibe. For slowed sure. slowed down and chilled out to the max. You know what I mean? It's yeah. I mean, he's he's such an artist, man. I mean, it's he's a through and through artist. He's a Renaissance man on the one hand, and he does everything, and he's great. And but he's just one of the key tenets of like modern art is that there's so much meaning in meaninglessness. There's so much going on when you let your subconscious take over. Mm. And uh, that's for me, a great example of this song. What I hear out of it is um, it's almost like he's des- describing his own writing process and, you know, maybe procrastination and putting things off until it's the last minute and getting, and getting shit together. It's, mm. you know, I've, I, I see a lot of stuff going on here uh, in terms of meaning behind the lyrics. And that's something that you should always, you get something out of every new listen of an Andrew song. It's so not in your face. You yeah. really need to dig deep. And that's one of the reasons that I absolutely needed to have this song on the Sloan cast 30. Yeah, man. Fantastic song. If you haven't heard in a while, pull, pull it out. It is such a vibe. Like I said, it's such a meditation, you know, yeah. th- as, as the cycle of the song goes through and it pulls into that instrumental and you get that. Ooh, and then it has that little ring of the guitar. There's so much musically going on here to, to enjoy. Uh, and it's just such a vibe for Andrew, you know, that we don't yes. always get that kind of like slowed down. I, there really isn't a song in the catalog, like you were saying, that's that's similar yeah. in a way. It's yeah. it's sort of its own unique tone and its own unique color. Yeah. Um, fantastic. All right. So moving on. Um, hey, it's been a while since we've had a Chris track on here, right? And it's clear no one will couple of times that I've done merch for the band and they've been in, in more recent years they've had an official 12 inch pressing of uh hit and run EP and uh people when, whenever I was going to talk up this record to somebody I'd always say it's got one of my f- favorite Chris songs on it uh and all the tracks on the hit and run EP are fantastic especially for that sort of midpoint between like you know parallel play and double cross period of the band but take it upon yourself holy shit where do we even begin Um, it's very apparent here and we've talked about, especially on the Gregory episodes about how he is there after the 2000, I mean, as 2006 progresses, he's on tour with them. He's present, but not taking over and not overtly in the mix on parallel play. And by the time we get to double cross, as he said, he's all over the place Hmm. and the hit and run EP is sort of just that midpoint. That's right. And we hear him right off the top of this track. I love the production here. It's reminiscent in a way, especially in terms of the drums, of that wonderful one chord to another sort of scrappy recording style. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and here we are with Chris just hitting us with, and he's going to do this again in, in a second, in a year, another year or so. Uh, he's gonna hit us. He's gonna hit us with another example of this. Follow the leader at the beginning of 2011's Double Cross. But sure. um, here we are with Chris at the top of the album. Fantastic pop song, top of the EP, I should say. 
And right. uh, yeah, I love everything about this song. There's a version of it on YouTube. If you search my name, Robbie Butcher, Sloan, take it upon yourself, a Dakota Tavern. I think 2009 when it came out, they did a little show there where they kind of played this EP and some other B-sides and stuff uh, to a small crowd. And uh, so it's on YouTube. It's a fantastic little watch. Uh, great song live. And I think that was one of the shows that Greg mentioned that his hand was busted on too. So that's right. Yeah. Uh, fun fact yeah. uh, for those looking at that video. But yeah, I love this song. This is a top five, Chris, for me, for sure. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. I mean, the great thing about this song is that it shows Chris's and the band's really chameleon-like song composition and production abilities, right? So hit and run. Uh, which we still need to cover, by the way, mm-hmm. doesn't sound like any of the studio albums that preceded or uh, anteceded. Is that a word? It <laughs> um, and and this song really doesn't sound like anything that Chris has done before or since. So, you know, you can challenge a guy like Chris Murphy to go write a song in the style of, you know, go write a song that sounds like the Monkees meet Elvis Costello, and he'll do it. And to me, this is exactly what this song is. It's you have that catchy piano driven lick. Um, you have a succinct poppy. You, f- you have a chorus on a Chris song. Like you have a poppy chorus on a Chris song, which is such a rarity. The chorus might have well been written by Boys and Heart, uh, but you still also have the that riff and the tone of late 70s new wave right um and as you mentioned you have the drum production style that makes it signature sloan Mm. yeah um oh and that outro is just ripped entirely out of a little bit of me and a little bit of you from from the monkeys so you have that wonderfully (laughs) rounded package it doesn't sound like anything that chris has done before since Mm. uh what a great number yeah so i mean this song could even be uh, you know if you look at it lyrically in the context of a song like Don't Need Excuses to Be Good from uh, Commonwealth, a little bit of a similarity there, you know what I mean? Like a bit of a nod to, you know, uh, might as well believe in you know who, believe in you, you know what I mean? Believe in yourself. Mm. Like you don't need a higher power. You don't need any of this other external bullshit, um, mm. you know, and it's also kind of the, the the spirit, I think, a little bit of maybe what's kind of driving Chris a little bit, which is what if you if you want it want something done right, do it yourself, you know. Um, <clears throat> and I think he he is somebody who probably takes a lot upon himself as well, you know. Like, um, you know, I, I I see him as sort of the the musical pack mule in a way, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he's on everybody's track, you mm-hmm. know. He's playing the drums for Andrew, and he's singing backup for Patrick and Jay, and he's writing you know B verses for Jay and. He's kind of the glue. He's the condiment of the sandwich. He's the many condiments. He's the liquid condiments. <laughs> he's the liquid swords. Uh, if we go back to our uh, ghost face. Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. He's the ghost face. But anyway, yeah. um, who was who was liquid swords? Was that not ghost face? That was Jizza. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm getting my Wu-Tang okay. mixed up. Ghost face was Cuban links. Okay. But, he's the yeah. Cuban link. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but uh, anyway, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but yeah, but Chris being that sort of like midpoint between everybody, you know, like he, you know, you look at them playing live, he's taking a lot upon himself. Um, but uh, to be less, less literal, um, you know, what an, what a fantastic song again on an EP that's just all great. Uh, and like you said, a bit of a, an anomaly in the discography and that it sort of sounds a little bit different. Uh, I think at the end of the day, it is obviously them. And I think the next track is indicative of that as well. Yeah. Let's run into it.
two more back-to-back tracks apparently on the Sloancast 30. <laughs> and to me, we talked about earlier just now, where does the mature phase of Jay's songwriting begin? Right. And I think that's debatable, but this is for me when the mature phase of Jay's songwriting goes into overdrive, right? Mm, it's sure. It's a simple chord progression, but it sounds super exotic and complex. Um it's also pretty simple lyrical content at the same time, but yeah. it sounds so weighty. It sounds so heavy. Um, it seems so heavy, and it <laughs> leaves an it leaves for me like an indelible mark on the listener within two minutes. It's such a short statement, but it sounds so huge, you know. Yeah. So you know, I don't know. This is for me one of the best expressions of what Jay can do as a songwriter now that he couldn't do uh you know every member of the band has matured musically over the last 30 years yeah but this is for me one of the things that shows jay's development as a songwriter the clearest well said and i think in in, in a way this song is sort of like a pulled back and drawn back similar to the way we were saying with andrew earlier um you know, where the dogs is maybe like a chilled out version of 400 meters in that mm. same vein. This one, and I feel Witch's Wand are kind of sister songs uh, yeah. or witchy sisters, if you will, <laughs> um, because they both have that sort of like element of magic and, um, yeah. you know, that sort of ethereal sort of something's in the air. Um, and where it, I, I, I visually go when I'm listening to the song to that Witch's Wand place, you know, like the, the, the visual that Jay kind of puts together in that song, I feel like these are kind of in the same place. Now, I don't know, again, we've speculated all day. I don't know if we're in Cleopatra era territory yet. I don't know if that happens until just before Double Cross. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, if, if, if not, we're on to something. And I, and I feel like even as much as Andrew is singing his songs, and they're kind of just coming off the top of his head and it's sort of his surroundings, you know, Jay, I do feel kind of has something that's a little more like, as he said, impressionistic. It's something that's maybe kind of going on. He's reporting on it a little, but it's still, you know, obtuse enough right. that we can kind of apply our own feelings to it. To me again, lyrically and in every way, which is one and midnight mass are kind of in that same vein. I love the piano on it. Yeah. And um, yeah. it just sort of sits in the pocket. It kind of pulls back a little bit. This is another one that, you know, if, you know, when these guys are playing shows again, hopefully this year, Jesus Christ, and they kind of have a longer, you know, two sets of time to kind of put it out there. This is another one that is just, you know, would sound so great back in the set. It's such a great one. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, this is the second song on which we were unanimous about its inclusion in this playlist. So yeah. there you go. Killer. You yeah, know, co- unanimity, <laughs> as you can tell, we have so much overlap. <laughs> yeah, man. And I don't know, I know that the Hit and Run EP is available. I believe it's still on their website. If you go to slowmusic.com and, right. and, and click through to the store, I believe you can still get copies of it. They had copies at the shows uh, last month. Yeah. Um, so if you don't have this one, if for whatever reason, you know, uh, Hit and so Run good. EP that was just put out on vinyl, you know, over the past couple of years, if you don't have a copy of it, it's absolutely vital if you have the other and song records. The vinyl release also includes Get Out of Bed, which is, I yes. think I, I was very close to wanting to include it on this list. Uh, same, uh, same. Another, another, I think it was a bonus track for iTunes as well, right? Yeah, it must have been iTunes bonus. Uh, just uh, unbelievable what these guys can just pull out of their ass. <laughs> An uh, awesome sort of panicked track from Andrew. Um, 
But uh, yeah, I don't even know if we'd mentioned. Uh, yeah, we, we did mention that we're talking about Midnight Mass here. But uh, yeah, the whole EP is awesome. And uh, I know that they reshot the artwork, I believe, for it as well, mm-hmm. using the original yeah. T-shirt that was printed for the original digital release. Um, but uh, yeah, fantastic EP. If you don't have it for whatever reason, I'm fairly certain you can go to YouTube and search this song and find it or go to their uh, sure. band camp and, and stream it if you must. Um, the whole thing, the whole EP requires a listen immediately. For our next selection, we allowed ourselves just a little bit of artistic liberty. <laughs> Technically, this isn't one song, it's three songs. Um, so, you know, this might be the Sloan cast 32, but um, <laughs> who cares? I, we, we, I, we talked about this recently. Um, follow, the, follow the leader, the answer was you, unkind, that um, whatever you want to call it, triptych of opening numbers to the double cross in 2011. I don't have much more to say on this than what was already said on our episode covering that album. If you haven't listened already, then you can do it right now. Yeah. But um, I'll just focus on one thing. This is an incredible demonstration for me of what we talked about beforehand, sequencing and having an idea of how an entire album should sound. Um, It's an example of how the band is able to cobble together songs that come from three different songwriters that sound so disparate in style and make it appear as though they were meant that they were meant to segue into each other. Like yes. we hear it all the time on between the bridges. Um, we hear it to a certain extent. I'll never hear the end of it too, but I feel like this is the touchstone example of that. Yes. Um, it does nothing but add sophistication to an album that's already great. Um, and it, it invites the casual listener to not just cherry pick songs from from the list but to go through the entire album so you know this is this is for me maybe the best expression of that idea across the sloan catalog and to add to that like these three tracks could all be super powerful standalones like there's there's no mean mr mustard in there or something it's not (laughs) none of this is filler right this is those three tracks could have done perfectly well on their own if they were just to start and finish like a completely normal standalone song uh but the expression that the band made with this three track triptych to open the album uh just shows how what caliber of professionals these guys are you said it, man. You said triptych. I'm having fucking tea party flashbacks. Jesus Christ. But you know, you said it, man. Like, like these songs belong together. And I know we're kind of cheating here, putting three songs in one on a 30 song list, but there was a lot of intention here, a lot of purpose, you know, like these three songs as, as different as they may have been originally when they were conceived, they were masterfully 
arranged and produced to appear and and you know we hear them on the, at the to open up double cross in 2011 as this one long piece and there was intention when they played the shows live because the shows as we said in that episode this these three tracks were you know the opening of the show the first 15 minutes of the show uh, and like gregory said you know you've got these long pieces where you know you know you are up for the next you know 10 to 15 minutes you can't step to the right you can't take a drink you were you were now on for this set period of time and whether right. it's 48 portraits or the opening to the double cross album and tour um you are locked in yeah and uh you know it, it, all of that aside, you have three individual songs, like you just said, which could be top five songs for each of those mm. individual writers. Mm. Uh, you know, like, you yeah, know, we, we sure. kick off with the drums that, you know, on the Chris song uh, that we later found out is Gregory actually playing it. You know, the stomp there, that sort of mm. classic, you know, classic rock kind of Stones vibe into the... Uh, you know, and 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 follow the leader takes you on a fucking roller coaster. I mean, we've we've mm. covered that on the double cross episode. We kind of keep saying that throughout this episode. This <laughs> episode should also be just a reminder to go back and listen to the other ones if you haven't heard them. But you know, the roller coaster of follow the leader when you get to mm. don't let them get away with it, that kind of thing, uh, and then into the beauty of answer was you from Jay. You know, mm. just a beautiful you know love song. I I, I think it would be an appropriate term. Um. Uh, and then into unkind from Patrick, which is just another classic stomper. Um, fantastic. And I know unkind was a single as well, but yeah, these three songs belong together. They belong on this list. If I was playing the, you know, some lesser known Sloan songs for somebody who's maybe sort of more casual or unfamiliar, you know, these three songs are an amazing intro. Yeah. And also the the first 10 minutes of Sloan the Musical, as we also learned. Oh, hell yeah. Fuck yeah, man. I'm going to make that shit happen. It's the last thing I do. Yes, these are the first three songs of the Sloan Musical, for sure. Just thaw out Stephen <laughs> Sondheim. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And then at some point you get later, you know, like, uh, whatever, the Shadow of Love refrain and whatever. <laughs> I, I could go on all day about it. But yeah, Double Cross is a musical unto itself, for sure. <laughs> all right. So... We are indeed quickly working our way down, very far down this 30-song playlist. Um, so low, one might say. <laughs> Can you see me at all when I'm laying so low? Don't expect me to call cause I'm laying so low. All right, Rob, uh, hit me on this one. Okay, so uh, I mentioned it on the Double Cross episode, obviously. When I heard Double Cross the first time, you know, like similar similar to Never Hear the End of It, uh, you know, I didn't know that Laying Solo was a Chris song at the end. And by the time I got there, I was like, oh, here we are at the end of the album again, Chris Murphy. Mm. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) What's the song? I'm trying to think. Another way I could do it from, uh, from Never Hear the End of It was such a satisfying finale to that 30 song juggernaut. And here we are again at the end of double cross. Here we are with Chris, a different tone, obviously another way I could do it, you know, big upbeat rock song, double vocals, just killing it the whole time. This one is possibly, I mean, I'm trying to think of some other examples, obviously, um, you know, bells on, on twice removed or the latter half of pretty together, you know, not the end of the world, that sort of thing. Vibe from Chris. This might be one of the ones where there is, 
And, and we've talked about sincerity from him previously, and especially in the last episode too, kind of where we ended off with fading into obscurity, kind of describing as that song being sort of the page being turned in the career. I mean, that whole album is to be truthful. I mean, to correct ourselves in that last episode, never at the end of it as an album is the, you know, the door opening into that mm. next sort of like, that's uh, right. uh, you know, 10, 15 years or so, the next chapters. Um, but laying so low for me uh, is just oozing sincerity. It's absolutely stunningly beautiful, amazing vocal. There really isn't a whole lot of tongue in cheek joking around here. Uh, you know, mm. like it's, it's, it's sincere, you know um, it's, it's somebody trying to reach out to communicate with somebody and, yeah. you know, concern that that relationship or whatever is going to sort of fall by the wayside um, it has some of those feelings that we get from Chris where, you know, the, you know, concerned about being relevant in the situation and so on. But I really feel like he's less here speaking about the band and his musical career and really kind of speaking from a personal perspective. That's sort of the yeah. impression that I get. Um, sure. and, uh, it's just a beautiful song. It kind of, it kind of kicks up into the choruses, you know, there's a little more, you know, there's a little more meat on the bone or whatever, but for the most part, the song is, you know, a little on the downside, I guess just down tempo and it's a little more chilled out. Um, but again, if you haven't heard this one in a while, man, pull out double cross, find a way to listen to laying so low from the double cross by Sloan. Uh, and it is just a, a perfect ending to that album. It's a perfect song. Again, my, my top five Chris songs is like, you know, 25 songs long, but uh, it, this is, this one's up there. And uh, again, not only just a perfect little bow on the end of that album, um, this might be sort of the last song on a mix that I might make for somebody, you know, sure. um, it just emotionally kind of pulls everything to the end and sort of, you know, is an amazing jumping off point. Um, yeah. I love it. I can't speak highly enough of it. It does. It does everything that another way I could do it did for never hear the end of it for the double cross. You know, it ties a bow on the album, as you said, it, it, couldn't belong anywhere but at the end of that album you know the sequencing of, of tracks on the album uh of the double cross was also perfect and this is for me a, just a great expression of how how great a vocalist chris murphy is mm. you know you want to show off chris's vocal range uh and this is not the way he normally sings this, this isn't really in the same register as he normally sings it's much lower in his natural baritone range yeah, yeah. um but it's uh for me just one of the best vocal performances in the catalog from him so i, I sure. love its inclusion on this list and you know after having prepared and listened to the prepared for the double cross episode and uh and listened to the album you know really intensively probably the the most intensively for the past 10 years for myself um i grew another newfound appreciation for some of the tracks including this one uh and you just need to continue to deep dig deeper into the catalog of the band you can't stop and this is what separates the fans from the super fans of this band you can't stop listening to sloan after between the bridges you can't say oh i heard pretty together in 2001 and i didn't like some of the tracks so i i stick with my guns in the 90s you can't you're doing a disservice to yourself because you're you're missing out on so much like this makes some of the stuff that they put out in the 90s just seem so amateur in comparison and it, you know it wasn't but this is fully professional shit here 
you know, these are the dudes, you understand how they've matured as songwriters, but how they've also matured in self-reflection and in their ability to understand how they're able to put their talents, their qualities to use on an album. It's perfect, you know, and that's, this is for me, one of the best expressions of that from the latter half of the band's catalog. Yeah, you said it, man. You hear that, you 90s Sloan Buccaneers? Give your heads a shake. Uh, no, but really, I mean, yeah, who else? I mean, like, you get anybody's top 10 list of their favorite bands, artists, whatever, that don't include Sloan. Uh, and, you know, put it up against this. I mean, it, 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 that might be unfair to do or whatever. Uh, but, uh, you know, for my in my mind, when comparing, I mean, this is next level. Nobody's writing like this. And uh, speaking of the Double Cross episode where Aaron Pinto was our guest, he noted, or maybe it was you, I can't recall, Ken, that part at the end where Chris hits you with that sort of lump in the throat of, you know, don't expect me to call because I'm laying so low and kind of just that mm-hmm. a moment of bringing his voice up at the end, you know, like yeah. little moments yeah. like that, like little artistic decisions, so powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, these guys are just delivering, you know, hand over fist again and again, every album. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's interesting. This song is kind of laying so low on the record, you know, where we've kind of talked about these meta things happening, you know, with a song like format 400 meters where they, it's the last song and he's talking about this record disappearing. Right. You know, this, this song is laying so low at the bottom of the record and for double that's cross, right. which for, you know, casual fans might not be an album that's so much on their radar mm. to have the song at the end. And it'd be a bit of a slower down tempo song too. I mean, like if anybody out there is unfamiliar with this song, or even if you haven't heard it in a while, uh, go pull it out. I keep saying this throughout the episode. Listen to all of these songs for fuck's sake. But um, yeah, a, a fantastic performance here from Chris. And yeah, one of my favorite song songs without question. All right. Uh, wipe the tears from your eyes and take, <clears throat> take, a Red Bull. <laughs> take a Red Bull for our next selection. Yeah, you are not- All right, it's in you, it's in me. Fuck um, yeah. We we recently spoke about the the two hardcore singles that came out, the AB 7-inch uh, that came out in 2013, uh, as well as the covers album that was gracefully recently re-released on vinyl by, by the band. Um, as this one's an original, which is for me such a great uh, self, self-referencing title uh, for, for an EP. But... Um, this is again you know we noted in in that episode the band's hardcore influences we noted that you know this this is mostly chris and patrick uh but all four of them to a certain extent are being influenced by that and this is such a great statement uh and it's such a great tribute to that area of influence and we talked to greg pollard about this he's a hardcore guy who got into sloan later in life so he's a great example of how you can you know, convince somebody with interest in a particular musical genre, maybe to check out one or two of the tracks from the band's catalog that reference that genre or that are that are composed in that style to show just musically uh, how what what kind of breadth these guys have. So this is Patrick in 2013 doing a song. You know, Chris recycled his track from from the 80s and it kind of sounds that way you know it sounds a little bit like it's an original from the 80s and this is patrick writing a hardcore song in his 40s you know 
and making it sound awesome and not dated and not uh you know kidsy or whatever it sounds it's one of my favorite patrick tracks of the last 10 years so you know who does that (laughs) yeah i mean well we were talking earlier about never hear the end of it and uh, you know the inclusion of hfx and shc being such a classic song on that record and it's a complete standout on that record like it doesn't sound like Mm -hmm. anything else obviously Um, there aren't really a whole lot of examples of sloan going hardcore like on their records i think that might be the only one Mm -hmm. um but uh this song in that same vein, um, you know, Patrick, once again, just captures the energy of that time and of that genre in a way that sounds timeless. You know what I mean? Again, he's not sort of, it doesn't sound like he's kind of cherry picking the hardcore vibe from the eighties. Cause this song kind of has a back and forth quality that didn't really, I think mm. exist in that, you know, sort of classic era. Um, mm. But again, like you said, he's a dude in his early forties at this point, who's, you know, writing a song that is a tip of the hat to that, to those genres and that, uh, you know, that tone and that style and writing something completely and totally original, totally him. And like you said, I mean, this comes out just as a B side on a seven inch, or I guess that, you know, you could technically call it a double A side. Um, it's, it is, I believe the A side on the reissue, the vinyl reissue, which by the way, again, I will say this, if you, there may be some copies left, if that's, possible so if you haven't checked out slowmusic.com recently i mean it's these are like plugs for the website or whatever but like if if you don't have a copy of this 12 inch and it's available online god i fucking I strongly suggest you go see if one's available um because the whole thing is fantastic you get the two originals and then on the, the rest of the covers obviously but um yeah love this song it's got again patrick singing in that higher register that we mentioned earlier with like you'll place trust um and then it's the chorus kind of, it begins with Chris and then it's sort of a back and forth between the two of them. Um, and, uh, the song actually ends with Chris on vocals as well, but, um, yeah, just a, a fantastic, perfect little pop song. I would be surprised if this song is over what, two minutes, like it's gotta be under two. Right. But, um, fantastic. And it's another example of a cool song like burn for it that we mentioned earlier that kind of becomes something else at the end, you know, like it's, yeah. a, it's got this sort of yeah. great poppy outro. Mm. Um, and again, whatever genre Patrick is tackling, it goes through his filter and it comes up the other side sounding like him. It's got his voice on it. Um, that perfect vocal, uh, sound and quality. And, um, yeah, he, whatever he does, he just sort of, it is catchy. It becomes, it's, it's like a complete earworm. And this song is that for days and days, like just listen to this one once and try to get out of your head, get it out of your head for a week. We have four songs remaining on this lone cast 30. But we're going to be touching on three. Standing underneath three sisters, I painted portrait remnants for hours. Yeah, three sisters. Was I think one of the ones that I insisted on having on on this list, and yeah. we did talk about um, this being maybe one of my favorite guitar solo songs uh, on in in this Sloan catalog. I hope, by the way, that the the clip we used you at you the listener just heard it, but in preparation, I hope that the clip we used was the solo. Like, anyway, we'll see. Yeah, but is it that is it that part of the solo or is it the outro <laughs> part of the solo? Oh, oh. That outro just that outro just kills me. It I won't know me. until the episode drops. Yeah. And this is the song that I wanted to have on the Sloan Cast Thirty because it um 
well, okay. So there are two things, there are two or three songs on here that I could say are indicative of Jay's incredible songwriting uh, ability and his incredible lyrical uh, songwriting ability. I think that this one is more for me the song that embodies, you know, I don't need to have everything on this track to make it great. I can make it minimalistic and still have it sound huge and still have it sound amazing. Um, yeah. You know, and I think that he he um, came to realize that over the course of his career. And if you listen to the tracks on Commonwealth from Jay, a lot of them have pretty sparse instrumentation, which isn't entirely characteristic of how he composed before that. Yeah. But Three Sisters, um, it just, it opens with a piano and a kick drum and a snare. And that's it, you know. Yeah. it's It's him vocalizing over what sounds like a jazz cafe setup, you know, like he might as well be wearing a beret. Um, <laughs> but he, you know, I, I don't mean to demean the track by any means. It's fantastic. It's artsy. It's super artsy. It's, you know, we talked about Jay, the impressionistic painter. Hmm. Uh, and this is, well, he does <laughs> ostensibly reference painting a portrait. Um, in uh in in the song but it does everything that we love about latter half of 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 the band's career jay uh within a single track and it's still a rocker and it's still a a song that you want to see live and it's not it's nothing to sleep on you know it's down tempo but there's a lot of really amazing stuff going on here so this is for me the track that we include to show off jay ferguson's production and songwriting abilities Absolutely. And this is another song that really just takes you on a journey, kind of starts in one place, goes to a completely different level with the solo section, then it kind of comes back down to earth again, beautifully, uh, just massively produced and put together, arranged, performed. Everything about the song is absolute perfection, 100%. Uh, and you could look back at minimalistic J songs like, you know, uh, Junior Panthers or Light Years mm-hmm. on Pretty the Other, uh, where he's just sort of really focusing on, on keeping things as basic and as small as possible and working within that framework. <clears throat> but this is next level. And you'll note, listener, that the majority of the J songs on our list occur post 2006, you know, mm-hmm. in this in this sort of J renaissance that we kind of keep describing, where everybody in the band is obviously, you know, evolved and improved. And, you know, the band, just as far as I'm concerned, just keeps getting better and better and better exponentially. Um, but J more than anybody is just on this absolute 90 degree inverted, you know, I don't know how you'd refer to it as, but just like this upswing that just keeps mm-hmm. going and going and this song and the next one teaser are evidence of that uh yeah. and in in jay's output his little mini ep on commonwealth is exemplary of that his whole little ep his whole side a of commonwealth yeah. is just masterful it's perfect the sequencing the instrumentation uh, and three sisters is sort of the crux of that it's sort of like the you know the meat of the sandwich if you will yeah. and um and it's delicious <laughs> and influential <laughs> to steal a line from Murph. But, um, but yeah, Three Sisters, my God. Like, it's, it's interesting. If you haven't heard this album in a while, if you haven't picked out, if you haven't pulled out Commonwealth in a while, put on Three Sisters and be shocked 
wow, I fucking, you know, is it possible that you may have forgotten how awesome this fucking song is? Because the whole mm. record is so great. And we're kind of going to kind of touch on that again with the next couple of songs. But um, this one, again, for, for the J side and for the whole record is just an absolute classic. It's like I said, masterfully performed. Um, you know, we kind of opined on the uh, Commonwealth episodes. There are three of them, ladies and gentlemen, and there could be more in the future. We'll see um, about the actual lyrical content. And, and this, you know, I think we're firmly in the Cleopatra era at this point. I think it's safe to say. Sure. Um, yeah. But uh, and, and it's possible she's one of the sisters. Who knows? But um, and, and that could be just a completely, you know, the, the title might be something completely irrelevant, irrespective of the narrative. But anyway, mm. that's, I guess, that's, again, us just sort of our opinion. But uh, what a beautiful song from start to end, regardless of the lyrical content and, and how you connect with it. This is yeah. just beautiful music. And as I was saying earlier with Laying So Low, I mean, you take your top 10 artists of all time that people are all way into, you know, uh, in any genre, uh, and yeah. you put it up against... This song specifically, but I mean, you could really put it up against Jay's entire side of Commonwealth. But yeah. who is writing like this? Yeah. Nobody. There no, there for me. There are no duds. There are no Jay duds. Yeah, I don't think there are any Jay duds. To be fair, sure. I can't claim that of the other guys. I mean, I have my opinions about. Them. I love the music. I love the band. I love the guys. Yeah, you know, but I've I have my own personal taste, and I think you know. There, sure, there are tracks that I don't like from Andrew. Like, I'm not, I'm not fond of some of the stuff that he did in a Dylan style, or I'm not, you know, super fond of some of the stuff that Patrick put out on on Commonwealth, just because I feel as though he's limiting himself lyrically on those. But the, I can't really claim that from Jay Ferguson. I think that he's the guy where I know if Sloan is putting out an album, I already know that the Jay songs are going to be fucking fantastic. Yeah, you know, he's he's out there album in and album out we could have chosen any of the five commonwealth tracks um to be on this list and in fact to segue into our next selection some people are born posthumously faded when they made it crowned as a crossword clue my only previous concerns were deciding on desserts what can you say about uh, either neither here nor there from Commonwealth? This is the final song on Jay's EP, his sort of mini EP on the album, the A side, um, King of Diamonds, if you will. Well, you were talking a moment ago about how Jay is sort of the one who's, and I've I've kind of destroyed this reference in the past. He is in fact batting a thousand, hmm. <laughs> and. Um, yeah, I mean, if you look at his at his career in the band as a whole, uh, he he has that level of consistency. You know what I mean? Like, and, and especially from that midpoint period where we keep referencing 2006, he's on this extreme upswing um, with the song quality, lyrical content. The songs are just so catchy, so great, and he has, uh, you know, like a really structured and helpful confidant in his back pocket in Chris, you know, because you always kind of get that feeling with the J songs and perhaps it's because they kind of collaborate in some respects and sort of feature on each other's songs. But, you know, Jay not only has this incredible presence in this songwriting quality, but he has Chris in his back pocket. You know what I mean? Like, um, and so whether it, it's, it's like, you know, like we referenced earlier, whether it's like a B part of a song or a bridge or something, or, you know, they put a piece of Chris's song in, you know, the end of Jay's song or whatever. Uh, he's got that X factor going for him too, that I don't think the other guys really have so much, you know, that, that crossover occurring so many, so often. 
um, if that makes any sense. But uh, yeah, neither here nor there. Ugh, man, a perfect little bow on Jay's EP on Commonwealth. This perfect little song. Um, yes. It's just so beautiful. It's gentle. He's kind of pulling everybody down a little. Uh, similar, like I said earlier, to songs like Light Years, where he's sort of just really pulling back and being really reserved. You mentioned earlier, you know, the minimalism of the instrumental. Um, very poignant. Uh, yeah. I think this is Jay's sort of laying so low, if you will, not to you know draw yeah sure you know too many you know similarities or whatever the songs are not re- you know related at all but um it's sort of his version of that sort of subdued you know end to his mini ep and uh, just an absolutely gorgeous song jay can be a conduit for his influences in many cases like he can be pretty upfront about this is the style that i'm referencing when i'm writing this song and he's such a encyclopedia of music history knowledge and he's such a mm-hmm you know, musician's musician. Um, so you listen to even the last song that we talked about here, Three Sisters, which was, he was influenced on that one by Squeeze. You know, he was trying to write Squeeze in the 70s. And I think that yeah. in this case, and maybe it's just because it's such a minimal song, um, it's, for me, this is Jay Ferguson. This is Jay, yeah. the songwriter. This is him expressing himself. Yeah. Uh, and it's a great, uh, it's a great one to include on on the album here, and I think that it's interesting. I'm I'm looking back on our Sloancast 30, and I hadn't really given this much thought. We have one upbeat J song on the Sloancast 30. We have <laughs> Step on It, Gene, and then you know our Te- other technically te- technically edge of the scene as well. Um, you know, but look at the other stuff that we have on here. We have Midnight Mass. We have the answer was you, which is I guess it's upbeat, but it's certainly a very sweet and sincere song. Sure. Um, you know, we have uh, three sisters and now we have neither here nor there. This wasn't intent per se, um, but I think it kind of pays homage to uh, to the man's style and to mm-hmm. what he's able to do, winding it down a notch. Yeah, it's interesting. We we mentioned earlier about Patrick and kind of focusing in on how he's able to write these songs for everybody in a way. Like his lyrical mm-hmm. content is kind of simplified as he pr- proceeds forward, and it's sort of like about you and me and everybody. And and the lyric is sort of not taking a back seat to the melody and the overall catchiness of the song, but that's just kind of like the framework within with when with which in he. <laughs> it's the framework within that it's the framework that he's working in jesus christ um Mm. but jay is seems almost hyper focused on the lyrics especially in this song um you know lyrics like crystal vistas and downtown creatures uh you know uh faded when they made it crowned a crossword clue Uh, and my Mm. favorite jay line ever in a case of hypochondria of the heart which i of course Mm. went on for ages about in our commonwealth episodes but um yeah, just some beautiful wordplay here. Beautiful when sung, beautiful when read. Just absolutely gorgeous lyrical mm. content. And, uh, you know, it doesn't seem like these lyrics just kind of came out of nowhere. You know, this was yeah. not just sort of like freestyled. He's very hyper-focused here on what he's saying specifically. How the words, yes. you know, uh, are sung, how they line up with the melody. Yeah. Uh, so there is incredible intention here, like I was saying earlier. Um, and and I think that's where Jay kind of sets himself apart. I mean, I think there's intent with all of the guys in a way. Uh, and I think Chris would probably be next in line with being like, you know, kind of really fine tooth comb about what he's doing. Um, but yeah, specifically with this record and Commonwealth, uh, you know, I think Jay kind of creates a little masterpiece for himself and that's not to say that I don't enjoy his songs on, uh, 12, uh, you know, right to Rome and is 
an absolute masterpiece it, for sure. it, in terms of pop writing uh, a pop song it's absolutely perfect and I feel like interestingly enough we've joked on the show about Jay's kind of on this eternal quest to like write the perfect song yeah. I would suggest that Right to Rome is as perfect as it gets you know what I mean right. um, uh, just in terms of like a perfect little package that has everything um, but his little EP on the 2014 Commonwealth is just another example of yeah just really kind of focusing in and producing something that's this perfect little picture uh, and I'm right. so happy that Commonwealth turned out the way it it did, which is that they, each guy had a side of their own record yeah. where we do get this little J mini EP of, of perfection. Um, mm. I think it would have been, uh, it would have been a disservice to the songs that he created to have them interspersed with the other guy's songs in a way, yeah. which is, you know, completely different from how the rest of the records occur. Um, but uh, yeah, love this track. Love it so much. It's, you know, I'll, I'll give, I'll give another uh, two seconds to this to this song because we this is the last track from Jay on the Sloancast Thirty, but we I think that you know Chris and Jay are almost in a sort of maybe subconscious battle with each other. They feed off of each other's songwriting so much, and they've known each other for so long, and they've worked together for so long. And let's not forget they were both writing and performing songs. Uh, for Carney Lake Road, so they've been sharing lead duties since the mid '80s, basically. Um, and I think that, like, I don't know if either of them are personally outside of music perfectionists, but you can tell here there's a lot of perfectionism going on here, and I don't mean that negatively. I mean what you said. Jay Ferguson is super economic with the way he writes songs. He doesn't do a whole like a huge volume of from what I understand a lot of the things that he conceives of make it to the final cut of the album. He doesn't right. have he doesn't go into each session uh each album session with 20 tracks or something. He comes in with his handful and they're done to perfection, right? Yeah. So yeah. That is um he's so economical with his use of words. You know, if I, looking back on when I would write stuff, you know, it, it was somewhere in between this, like Jay Ferguson, I want to be super eloquent and I want to use a wide breadth of vocabulary. On the other hand, it was very kind of rambling and, and unfocused. And that's sort of the worst of both wor worlds. Whereas, you know, I'm not in any way trying to compare myself to these guys. I'm just giving myself a reference because I know how fucking difficult it is to make loquaciousness sound digestible you know you want to show that you have a breadth of vocabulary that makes you know that, that that can do justice to the expression that you're trying to make but you don't want to make it sound as though it's this big wall of text and you want people to understand what you're trying to say to a certain extent mm. you know that's for me the counterpoint to andrew's beat poetness right andrew's like i need to make uh, you know I, I need to make a song basically and he goes out and he makes the song and the meaning comes afterwards and you know for jay it's that the meaning is the spark and i build up on top of that and i'm so i'm so selective in what makes the final cut yeah um and so that's a great you know every song that we've talked about here uh isn't is a is a example of that but this last one for me is, uh, especially lyrically, as you mentioned, with the words that he's using, uh, a great example of that. 
And what you're talking about here is what makes them so unique and so special as a band. Each guy has his own identity and his own unique approach. And again, that's something you don't get with any other band. I, you know, yeah. Even if you have another band where everybody's a, you know, a singer songwriter, um, yeah. you don't get the career that these guys have. You don't have the discography that they have. Um, yeah. And each person having such a unique approach, like you were saying, uh, that yeah. gives them such a unique uh, style and voice. Um, I think this next song is, you know, that in spades where he's made up you know he, he's coming up with these jamming all these different ideas and parts and then he gets to a point where it's i know i'd be curious to know uh we're talking about uh the last song on the commonwealth the andrew side um the uh 16 minutes and some change sprawling 48 portraits um Let's listen to it in a second here. But yeah, I mean, it's a great example of him. I don't know where in this process he sort of decided, okay, it's going to be one song. Uh, but thank God he did. And here's what it sounds like. The big stars in your eyes won't deliver any light. How do you pick a clip from 48 Portraits to include on this one? And I feel like it's <laughs> cheating again. Like I feel as though you know, we we already had the 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 three song medley um from from Double Cross on here. I feel as though it's cheating to put 48 portraits on here. It's like, what are we is this the Sloan cast 78 or what, <laughs> what's going on? Because yeah. <laughs> it's and I'm I'm I you know I love never hear the end of it. I'm a quantity and quality guy and not a quantity or quality guy right. uh i am still insistent that this could have been this song could have been like fucking 10 songs and i would have wanted to have 10 final andrew songs over a mishmash of 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 those of, of elements of those 10 songs yeah. but uh and this is a big but and i cannot lie um the some of the parts is incredible and it's such a feat such an accomplishment to make that sound coherent and there are i'm going to admit there are parts in this where it you can tell that they're trying to make the bridge from the one to the other but Mm -hmm. i don't think they were trying to hide that either i think that it's in in the sense that you have an overture on tommy and that they're you know intentionally building they're composing bridges from the one part the one preview of the of the track to the next preview um they do similar things here is there an overture on quadrophenia i forget there is isn't there i think so um yeah (laughs) but uh it's uh it has a lot of that going for it and um 48 portraits for me is uh this is stream of conscious andrew consciousness andrew stream of consciousness andrew this is his magnum opus. You know, we talked earlier about the dogs that he's sort of just like singing about what he sees around him. Um, and truly, this is a, a, a sewn together collection of thoughts and, and riff ideas and things that if you were to describe it to somebody, that it's like essentially 11 pieces. I would suggest that there are sort of nine song ideas here because a couple mm-hmm. of the pieces are repeated. Um, uh, but uh <clears throat> 
if you were to describe it to somebody and say, hey, like, this is what the guts of this are. It's these nine sort of sections. This is what this one sounds like. You know, the first, like, few minutes, of, like, you know, before the three-minute mark, it's basically just, like, percussion and dogs barking. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you were to describe it, somebody would be like, oh, my God, that just sounds like a mishmash of absolute garbage. When you, when you hear it all collected, it is absolutely gorgeous. And I really hope that the clip we use is the part that's got that descending guitar riff that I love. The barrier. Wow, wow. Like, that gets me every time. It's perfect. Uh, and just little great little musical moments like that again in a, in a mm. whole song of musical moments and and what a collection of of music here and ideas uh it, it it's obvious that there was um a lot of improvisation going on here and sort of just like finding mm. the pieces but when they locked into those pieces and i have to assume that there was a considerable amount of editing done here and sort of decision mm. to okay we got to put this here that there that i don't know they must have you know written it out Perhaps there's photo evidence of this song in visual form where this piece, because, you know, we've seen in the videos of the guys making the records that they kind of use like little, you know, sticky notes and stuff to kind of arrange the record or to figure out the pieces of a song and that kind of thing. There must be some sort of visual representation of this song. There there technically is one on our Sloan, uh, Sloancast Instagram from February 5th, 2001, when we were doing the Commonwealth episodes uh, where I put together my sort of imagined track list for the song and it's mm. sort of 11, you know, 11 pieces. Mm. Uh, I guessed the names of all the songs, save for the 11th, which is the lesson, which came out of that 2014 records mm. day release. Um, the alternates uh, tracks, but anyway, um, yeah, it's just, it's just this gorgeous collection of pieces. And, and I would love to know if there is sort of a visual representation of how it was conceived and put together because it's done masterfully, you know, like the, the, the various uh, sections of the song, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the section uh, that you say it goes with me, this sort of slows down later in the song. Um, yeah, I, I love the lyrics here. Everything about this song is just a, an absolute masterpiece. I was, when we were, um, putting together this playlist with the goal of converting people to Sloan, essentially, like mm. you might've heard Money City Maniacs on the radio, you know, you might've heard coax me at a frat party in 95 or whatever, you know, do you include something like 48 portraits on, on a, on a list that's meant to get people into the band? And I think you do, but you keep it to the end. Yeah. Right. As we have. And you, and you explain it. And I, and I, and I would be happy to tell somebody like, Hey, check this out. And by the way, when you get to the last song, you know, let's have a phone call first. Let's talk about it. That's first. right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, <laughs> because the song is, is immaculate and expansive and incredible on its own, but to just know a bit of the background and understand who this yeah. guy is and understand that you are hearing him, you know, uh, and, and you were getting that with all of the guys to a degree, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I think with, with some of their songs, you get, a sort of austere of cool, you know, like I feel like, you know, with some of the tracks, you know, even with Andrew at some points in some cases, you know, they're, they're not being totally, they're not revealing everything, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's a, there's a level of kind of wanting, wanting to maintain a coolness factor, that kind of thing, or, or to be tongue in cheek or to kind of be self deprecating uh, with yeah. Andrew though, in this case, in this song, it really feels like you're just pouring this guy's brain out and his heart out onto the table and you're getting it 
you know, a direct feed from this dude's head. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. He's, uh, he's become a lot more natural in his songwriting over the years. And I think that, uh, you know, t- touching on what we talked about just now that, you know, do you include this on a set uh, on, on a playlist that is geared towards, you know, getting people into the band or, or, or representing what the band, what makes the band great. I think if you put, if you listen to 400 meters and sinking ships and in the movies and the dogs and then listen to 48 portraits, then it makes sense, right? It's if you start with 48 portraits, if you say, you know, you want to find out why Andrew Scott is this incredible songwriter and he's the black sheep and, you know, flying under the radar dude. uh, I don't think you feed them 48 portraits first. I think you feed them pieces of his catalog up until that point first, and then slam them with 48 portraits. Uh, Insert your wrestling reference here, Rob. (laughs) There's got to be a move that represents what 48 portraits is. It'd be a scoop slam. (laughs) Or a a bulldog, inverted atomic drop. But uh, yeah, I mean, to kind of pick up on what you were saying there, uh, I was watching uh, the movie The French Dispatch this week, the new Wes Anderson, as, as of this mm-hmm. recording. And there's an element, I, I, I've, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around it. <laughs> it's, it's being very referential about art, I guess, in a way, especially in the mm-hmm. Benicio Del Toro section of the movie, and how people's interpretation of art it kind of... Uh, elevates or it speaks to the art itself. You know what I mean? Like if, if a painting, you know, falls over in the woods, was it any good? Did anybody notice it? Did anybody care? Whatever, you know, and you might have some thoughts on this too, as an artist, but, but um, when we're talking about Andrew here, uh, you know, being a painter and being so multi-tiered and being the Renaissance man, as you mentioned, um, understanding who you're listening to and the journey that they've taken up until this point, I think is key in, in this instance. And in, yeah. in terms of this song, it's a lot to chew on. Uh, yeah. and, and for me, you know, we referenced earlier, you know, songs that have overtures and songs that kind of, and albums that go all over the place. I mean, the who are an obvious reference with, you know, who's Tommy for sure. This, this song to me destroys that shit. And, and trust yeah. me, I love the who I love Tommy and I love Quadrophenia, blah, blah, blah. But this song is, is so, you know, heads, heads and tails or whatever it's head and shoulders uh that's why i don't have any dandruff sarge uh that means it's working anyway uh it's it's so head and shoulders above of above those uh you know references and those uh the you know whatever he was being inspired by um and and this is we talked about uh, a little bit on the double cross about uh traces and sort of you know that's an example of where it's clearly being kind of made up on the spot and as much as that song is fun live, you know, you know, it might be leaving something to be, you know, it might have left something to be desired on the record, whatever. But this is a complete slam dunk in this case with uh, mm-hmm. with 48 Portraits, as far as I'm concerned. It's one complete thought. And as much as it's all these different pieces, when you hear it, it's really tied together uh, on the record, you know, from a production standpoint, and that the that the song itself kind of self references itself a few few times mm-hmm. lyrically mm-hmm. and musically. Uh, he even fucking calls back to to, uh, to 1999 on delivering maybe's. He references himself from like almost from 15 years earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of interesting stuff. So like you said, I think it is poignant for someone to have a bit of a context in terms of who they're listening to, what this is about. Uh, in that same vein of, you know, like, like the story of the artist is important before kind of really taking this in correctly. Yeah. And you can't, you can't ever separate the artist from, 
from the art. You know, while while Andrew, when we talked to him uh, about a year ago now, tried to play down sort of his uh, the the meaning behind his songs. Uh, I think that there's a shit ton of meaning in these songs, mm. and you, if you listen to it really deeply, and if you listen and re-listen and re-listen, uh, then you start to get some bits and pieces of what this guy's about. Um, yeah. So, Forty Eight Portraits. Um, I know it's such an intimidating thing to put on. Uh, just do it and do yourselves the favor. We'll round off this Lone Cast Thirty with the most recent track uh, on on this Thirty Song playlist. Also by Andrew, and is also a numeric track name. Now, I don't think when we were compiling this list, I mean, there were definitely other songs on 12 that made the list for me. I mentioned Right to Rome earlier. Yeah. You know, I mean, Spin Our Wheels is absolute perfection. Um, I had uh, The Day Will Be Mine on there. Yeah. And Have Faith for Me from Patrick is for me top 10, Patrick, in terms of especially the latter half of the career. Um, but 44 Teenagers, which is what we're referencing here, is interesting. Um, because we were talking about in the previous song about how there's you know, Andrew would suggest that there's a lack of meaning in that. Um, and, I, and, and whether he wants to admit it or not in, in, in respect to him too, you know, respect to him. If, if there is a lot of meaning there and he kind of wants to keep that close to the chest respect, or if there is meaning and it's completely unintentional in that the fact that he empties his head and heart onto the canvas with each song, you know, maybe he's subconsciously unaware that he's being so transparent, you know, who knows, mm. but this song kind of rides the line, you know, it's kind of got a lot of the classic Andrew verbiage and that kind of thing. It's sort of sound stream of consciousness, but he's saying things like all the wheels are spinning inside the teenage brain. You know, the opening song on this record is spinner wheels, you know, so is he mm. potentially referencing Chris? Is, is he aware that he's doing that? Is it a funny happenstance uh, in the way that the lyrics are on 400 meters from one chord, for example? But uh, I think it's fair to say that the song is inspired by Gord Downey from the singer from the Tragically Hip who passed away Um, because he's referencing him here by name. He mentions Bill Barilko specifically. Um, And it's interesting. I would love to know. We'd we'd have to ask Greg. I've never asked, but I got to ask him at some point um, where the 44 Teenagers title came from because it was a line in the song that, that Andrew originally had. So the story goes and Gregory or somebody, I think it was Greg misheard the line misheard and it, said, yeah. what's the 44 teenage teenagers thing. And Andrew was mm. like, Oh no, I'm not saying that I'm saying this. And then they changed it because 44 teenagers mm. was maybe more fun or interesting or whatever. Mm. Uh, and I think maybe even for Andrew, something that's more obtuse and, you know, distant and sort of like, you know, just, it's completely not related at all. And he'd just mm. be like, Oh, that's a way, that's a way cooler lyric, way cooler title. Um, mm. but I don't know if you know, Ken, but I would love to know what the original lyric was. It's out there in the comments to the post on 12 in the murder records discography oh, Instagram go, account. So yeah, let's, uh, I'll talk about it for a second and then you can look in the meantime. But <laughs> the thing about 44 teenagers for me and I'm a big year zero guy. I mean, if it was my, if the, if this, if these were my 30 favorite Sloan songs, then year zero would be on there. Oh. Um, but for me, this is the song that almost signals what I can imagine would be 
um, Andrew's future style. Like this is a great point to say this is kind of turning, this is a pivot in where the man has progressed musically over the last 30 years. And this is where I can imagine him picking up on, uh, on the next album. I could be entirely wrong. And if you're listening to this post 2022, then maybe we'll have evidence for this by then. (laughs) But, um, it, to me, it sounds like this is a guy who's recognizing, uh, where, what he's able to do with his voice, uh, right now he's pulling together threads of backing vocals that give you this wall of sound almost crosby stills nash and young uh type thing at the end you know it's a bit of a it's a bit of a downer because we're talking about you know teenage angst we're talking about death there's reference to gord downey in this and i you know you can't help but tear up when you when you think about gord downey and but there's also this huge rocking outro uh and the riff at the end, and you know, it's I, it's got a lot of um, what Andrew has been referencing uh, prior to this, but it just sounds so new uh, for him. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have it on here because it really sounds as though this is a turning point for him compositionally. Couldn't agree more. And 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 in the time that you were saying that, I agree. By the way, um, uh, Gregory in the comments of the of the Murder Records discography confirms that the lyric was "fully formed teenagers." Right. And and, and a great example of, of of Andrew take of just deciding that the thing that sounds cooler is what we go with. You know what I mean? Forget yeah. like my original intention. That's how loose he rolls. You know what I mean? Like really cool. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned earlier a second ago about the, the the musicality of the song and everything. Uh, it's 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 crazy the sort of journey that it takes you on. Um, it kind of ramshackle, kind of clunks in, Brady, but mm. then it kind of feels the, the vibe to me kind of has like a parallel play kind of vibe to me for some reason. Like it musically just sort of feels like that era. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like that sort of Andrew era of writing, but it's sort of got this like really laid back kind of ramshackle roll to it when it kind of clicks in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's piano based prim- primarily, obviously. And, and when Andrew's playing piano on a song, like I'm hundred percent there for it. Um, which is interesting because then he f- switches gears and is in, in a supply is one of the uh, most amazing riffs by the two and a half minute mark. The song completely stops and changes. And then it's brand, it's like basically, you know, Navy blues between the bridges era. Andrew shows up for mm-hmm. this like rifforama section and then the right. outro, uh, and, you know, talking about Gord Downey and, and sort of maybe focusing in a bit on the reality of death and, you know, somebody who you know not being around anymore. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. I think, you know, Andrew's had to deal with that in his life. He mentioned that in, in his interview, mm-hmm. you know, like personal, you know, loss mm-hmm. um, and, and what you leave behind after the fact. And then for those that see that occur, you know, how can you not be inspired to say, you know what, every day is, a, is, an, is another opportunity every ensuing day is a blank page, you know what I mean? And make mm-hmm. the most of it because like he says, you know, turning faster than you might think, you know, those pages are flipping by. So yeah. make the most of every day, you know, cause every day yeah. is a new opportunity, you know, keep your head up. Yeah. And you know, it's, I don't want to get too much into band dynamics here, but he's, I think making fairly clear reference to the fact that he's living through his own teenage kids. Right. And mm. that he's, you know, as, as a, as a father or as a parent, um, you 
do live vicariously through your kids, whether you want to or not. Totally. They're better versions of yourself. That's what you <laughs> get them on the planet to do is like go yeah. out and do good. Right. So I think that there's that. And there's, there might be some subconscious things about, you know, the 12th album of this band was an effort to get them to collaborate on the floor a little bit more. And you're hearing Andrew pull in Chris and, and, and Greg right. fairly, um, fairly generously on his tracks on this album. Yeah. Uh, and that's not something that he really did ever up until maybe Commonwealth. Like he was the guy who came in with a, you know, he did all the parts and he didn't need anybody for because he's the best drummer in the world. So he yeah. didn't even need anybody to lay down a drum track for him or a bass part because it's amazing. So, you know, this is now maybe sort of almost, um, you know, round two of Andrew in Sloan. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Could this be a, could this be a musical renaissance for him? And it certainly sounds that way. And I'm super eager to hear what's coming on. 13 or whatever the album is going to be called sure hopefully in the near future totally man and you, like you said we're both dads you know so we have that interesting perspective and while we both have little kids uh you know like preschool age kids i definitely find myself living vicariously through my son for sure totally. and, and and i think the best of the parents out there would want to you know you're not only living vicariously through them but you're wanting to improve upon your experience you know like right. um I remember what happened when I was five or whatever, like, you know, I'm going to improve upon that for my kid going forward. And yeah. hopefully you do it, you know, I mean, and you do the best you can. Um, so it's an interesting dynamic there. You mentioned where he's potentially referencing living through his, you know, at the, at this time and presently his teenage children. Um, but also himself kind of, and it's kind of interesting how we live our lives. I mean, I find myself kind of, you know, I'm one of those people who's like a big fan of the eighties and stuff. And that's sort of the, the decade that I grew up in primarily. And I find myself just really enjoying that culture, you know, the movies mm -hmm. and the music and the stuff that reminded me of, you know, even if there's a movie that I didn't catch from the 80s and I check it out now, I find that it just like it shoots to the top of the list of things that I love beyond <laughs> things that are more present, you know. And so, um, you know, you take a one look at Andrew's uh, art space. And it's like a story of his life visually, you know, the records that he likes and, you know, the art that he likes. And I, and I, and we see this in some of the, the photos of the band on Instagram where he decorates the inside of their bus, you know, like he's just really mm -hmm. about imagery and visuals and, um, there's a lot of imagery in this song. And um, I, I think it's just a really, he's got such a great dynamic and he's such a unique voice. Um, this song is, is, is really special on the end of 12. And I think equally special at the end of the Sloan 30. Uh, it would be quite a listen for somebody. I think <laughs> quite the exercise to listen through 48 portraits and then 44 teenagers. Um, but uh, you know, in, in the way that, observing and appreciating the great greatest art in the world, whether it be paintings or music or otherwise, um, there's a lot to be withdrawn from that. And I think that that's there's, right. there's a lot of, uh, you're not, this is not a band that's as thin as a piece of paper, you know, like right. there's so much depth here. And when you go digging, there's gold there, you know? Uh, and that's one of the great things about this band is that they're so deep. There's, there's meaning and there's intention as we've spoken about through this entire list. Um, and I, and I think outside of the singles and the things that everybody's heard on the radio or seen the videos on TV or the songs that they recognize live, there's this level of quality behind the singles. You know what I mean? Like mm. the more Abba gold, you know, the songs on More Abba Gold aren't as good as the songs on Abba Gold. You know what I mean? Or I mean, it could be argued. I mean, it's their sort of lesser hits or whatever, or their deeper album cuts. But the Sloan version of, of More Gold is, for my money, 
you know, marketedly and commercially and, you know, creatively surpasses everything that in terms of their output that's really known by the mass populace, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like everybody loves money city and coax me and good and everyone and all those songs. And they're, and those songs are fucking great. And the music mm-hmm. that they put out in the nineties is fucking fantastic. It's classic, mm-hmm. but in the same way that the red album is, you know, peak early sixties Beatles and you can't touch it. That blue album just fucking blows it away. Right. With that collection, mm-hmm. that collection that's of true. post, you know, mid sixties, Beatles stuff is just next level. And, mm. you know, there were tons of girls who were teeny bopper Beatles fans in the early sixties. And we always make these Beatles comparisons, but they're a great example, you know? Um, but that latter day period, and we're kind of in the latter day of the, of Sloan and hey, God, fuck, they could be around for another 10, 20 years. And we're talking about their middle period here at 12, you know, mm. like uh, mm. that's entirely possible, but uh, you know, given the lengths that, uh, you know, the Rolling Stones have gone to and so on. But uh as an as an as an, an example, but yeah, I mean, like, I I really feel like this Sloan Thirty, in terms of especially this this second episode, these latter songs in the in the final fifteen, um, they crush not only the songs that we spoke about in the in the first episode, but those popular singles from you know the band's sort of like quote unquote heyday of popularity. Mm. It's again, I think it's a, such an unfair comparison because you can't you can't characterize this band based on the singles alone and i think that's that's the real crux of it is that you can't just say you can't go up to someone and and say you know oh do you know sloan you know or other way around you you know if if a friend of yours comes up to you and says oh i hear hear you're a big sloan fan yeah i love people of the sky or i love you know money city maniacs yeah you almost you're kind of twitching because you're like okay, that's awesome. I, you know, agree with you and I'm happy that you have them on your radar, but there's 12 albums of amazing songs by this band. And I don't want them to be remembered for, you know, the future store ad or whatever. (laughs) This is, this is, there's so much going on in the catalog and Sloan is not about succinctness and the Sloan cast 30 is not about succinctness. And we're ending the Sloan cast 30 with two songs that are super dense. So, you know, we're not trying to, it's not a greatest hits. Um, This is about getting to the meat and bones of what this band is about. uh, And you can't represent that with, with the hits alone. You know, a sides win is a great compilation. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I don't listen to a side. Like I don't listen to the singles No, just like from, I don't listen to 12 singles in a row because <laughs> you know, you're missing out on everything that makes this band great. Yeah. And, and again, kind of coming back to when speaking about Sloan, because they're the greatest, they are in conversation. They're included with the other, you know, perceived greatest of all time, you know, and, and we talk about Beatles, we talk about Stones, and I think those are the two bands that everybody kind of holds up as the top two. I think you'd mm. be hard pressed to find somebody who argues against them. Mm. Um, and they have that thing that's in, that's in common with those guys as well, which is this, that they had the big singles. They have mm. the big singles that everybody knows, you know, like you can walk up to somebody on the street and hum a single to somebody like Good and Everyone, Money City, Rest of My Life, whatever. The majority of people are going to recognize it. But aside from that, like the Beatles and the Stones, aside from the hits, they've got these deep cuts and tracks like we're reviewing here in the, in the previous episode that are so quality and mm. are so beyond their peers or anybody else making music today. You know, these guys, the stuff that they're putting out as deep cuts on a record or B-sides are just fucking absolute gold, you know? 
by comparison. Nobody is mm. performing at this level. And obviously they've got an edge being four singer songwriters and, and they've got the uh, creative abundance issue. But, you know, that's a blessing in a sense. You know what I mean? Like they, they are just firing on all cylinders and they are absolutely untouchable in a way that the Beatles and the Stones never could be, you know, because I mean, like they had great careers and it's, it's, it's unfair in a way, I guess, to compare obviously <laughs> these, these top greatest bands of all time. But for my money, like, I will happily ditch my Beatles and Sloan's records in favor of Sloan because yeah. of the depth of what's occurring. Uh, and not only just fantastic singles and blah, 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 but like I've just been saying, you know, there's so much meat on the bone there and their deep cuts deliver again yeah. and again. And I hope you listening to this were able to kind of appreciate and if you haven't heard them in a while. And if you, if you're really familiar with these songs, great, you know, and, yeah. and, and hit us up online, by the way, if we're, if we're missing out on something or if we missed one that you didn't, that you, that you really love or whatever, I'd love to hear about it and talk about it in the DMs or whatever uh, everybody's gonna have their own opinion this is ours but um yeah thank god for sloan i you know i say it all the time but god thank god this band fucking exists man and if, <laughs> and if they end tomorrow there's a legacy here that is untouchable and uh, that i imagine will be untouchable for a century if it, yeah, if, if please, ever please don't because i need a place to put my money uh and i'm <laughs> hoping that's going to be uh, that new sloan albums and merch so yeah. Hey, well, here, here, man. And I think everybody listening agrees, but uh, that's a great way, I think, to maybe tie a bow on this ep- on these two episodes, rather, the Sloancast 30. Yeah. Uh, an interesting concept. I'm really thankful to you, Ken, for kind of coming, bringing this concept to the table. I think it's really interesting. Um, a concept that I admit I kind of didn't really grasp at first, but now that we've kind of hashed it out and talked about it and come up with the list and now had these episodes, and I think including the clips is really important. It's a, it's a wonderful conversation to have and, yeah. and an opportunity to really deep dive and appreciate on a band uh, without having to go through each album individually. And there's a lot of albums here, again, that we haven't touched on that I'm sure in future episodes, you know, Parallel Play, for example, is one yep. uh, that I can't wait to talk about. 12 as well. Fuck, 12. I can't wait to talk oh, about man. that one. There's so much fodder for new episodes in the near future. So I hope you liked it, listener. <laughs> yeah, if you didn't, uh, hey, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> you're, in the wrong, you're in the wrong podcast right now. <laughs> yeah, we'll let you go. Uh, but anyway, yeah, we thank you so much for listening again, and uh, we hope uh, t- that you'll stay tuned and check us out. We've definitely got some fun episodes uh, planned coming up. I think 2022 is going to be an amazing year for Sloancast. Uh, you know, fingers crossed we get some more of the guys on, you know, mm-hmm. um, and uh, we'll see. So, yeah, let us know in the comments on Instagram, at Sloancast, if you have suggestions for show topics, guests. If you're a super fan out there and want to tell your story, we want to hear about it. Um, but, yeah, check out the guys on social media, at Sloan music on instagram and each of the guys has their own instagram uh, account which uh, has a link tree for all of their various wares and you know videos and patrick on patreon and so on and so forth um andrew's paintings that you can purchase through his account but yeah check those guys out check in with them and uh, we will catch you next time <laughs> on sloan cast thanks so much for listening and thank you ken this was a lot of fun sir thank you thank you Take care.